I'm Monique Collins. I'm Jill Tu. My name is Camille Eicher. I'm Chelsea Gayton. I'm K.O. Bird. And welcome to the Afronauts podcast, a mood for the culture and the future. We supply speculative writing encouragement, resources, and entertainment. Welcome to Writing While Black, where we share our diverse experiences as Black writers. I wanted to talk a little bit today about when we have seen ourselves represented in books, ideally, but it could be any sort of media. I think representation is talked about a lot today, and representation can mean a lot of different things. So I wanted to just open it up to you guys and and have a conversation about um, times when we felt like we saw ourselves on the page. Maybe the, maybe the we can start with like the first time you felt that feeling and what it was like. I think for me, I, it's, it's like a recent book. So like the the other, I that was like my experience growing up. So so Legendborn, like that really made me feel like oh this is the other experience. Like mm-hmm. and every time there was like a situ like an awkward situation, you know, being like the only one, I I just I felt that pain, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that was probably the first time where I was like, oof. I feel it. Yeah. I think my first time, it's interesting because my first time was in a movie based on the novel Beautiful Creatures. Mm -hmm. In the movie, Viola Davis plays, I think it's Amma or Amma, and she's kind of like the main family's caretaker or kind of like, she kind of looks over, looks looks after them. Mm -hmm. And she practices kind of like a hoodoo-esque type thing Mm -hmm. and I practice hoodoo so Mm -hmm. that was really nice to see on screen now Mm -hmm. that's interesting because in the book she her character is a maid huh changed it because Viola Davis was like I'm not playing this is not the way it's gonna go yeah this is back in 2013 but um it was just really nice to see someone who was practicing this kind of I'm gonna call it hoodoo because that's basically what it was Mm -hmm. and uh, that was the first time I really saw myself on screen and then I read the book and was disappointed (laughs) but 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 proud of Viola you're like thank you but I was proud of Viola because I was like (laughs) thank you I appreciate that so I love that movie that movie is like I think underrated in my opinion I love it I'll I'll say just to echo up Chelsea I, I I felt the same reading Legendborn that there aren't a lot of uh a lot of stories that I had read before that about being a, a black face in like a white space. Um, I think for me, like the first time I really saw myself like on the page and was like, yeah, like that um, that resonates with me. I mean, I I loved like like Anne of Green Gables <laughs> growing up. I was like, yeah, like I like to walk around and like just do daydreamy stuff. Like as like a young girl, like that was like this this feels like seeing myself so that was really nice I would say as a black person the first time I really felt seen as far as like oh look I didn't know there was a word for that feeling or I didn't know there was like you could write about stuff like this was actually Native Son uh in high school um I think just the way that they portray Bigger's like the feeling of like pressure like unnameable pressure from all sides of just like being around white people um and you know the kind of claustrophobia I think that he feels that has like no real escape um until um later in the book I was like wow like there's there's a name for this <laughs> I think um like growing up in white spaces and having you know uh predominantly white friends honestly uh I think that was the first time that uh that I I knew that I could feel that and like articulate that feeling and I think like I don't know how y'all feel but like going through some of those books in high school especially uh in costumes that were predominantly white I wish I wish now that I hadn't seen it as like just another like unit on the syllabus and had really seen you know Native Son and you know books by like Zora Neale Hurston and other other black authors as like part of a legacy that was like mine to inherit as opposed to like a theoretical academic exercise <laughs> but Native Son I think really put words to something that um that, yeah that I had felt and, and really hadn't hadn't even known was there until the book called attention to it. I think for me, I have two different points that I can remember really seeing myself. The first one, interestingly enough, is in school. The majority of my books that I read in school were 
white base like all the ones that the teachers assigned they're just white characters everywhere but mm-hmm. the first one where i saw myself was mildred taylor's um roll of thunder here my cry oh and yeah remember... oh yes yeah so when i, I forgot that, about that one oh man that that was childhood and when i read that it's about sharecroppers in the 1930s but still it resonated because <laughs> i had never seen black kids in the story yep. ever and the story was good and it was deep. And like, I remember like, that was my favorite book for years. So mm-hmm. I went on and found the rest of them, like let the circle be unbroken, yeah. there was the whole like <laughs> trilogy. And so it was a big deal. And um, I, I, was, I was drawn to that. And then I think for a while, I didn't see anything else. Like I did, like I've told you guys before, I didn't see any <laughs> black characters in sci-fi, mm-hmm. in fantasy, none of that. But it wasn't until recently, as an adult, I read Dear Martin by Nick Stone. Mm. And that one really resonated with me as an adult. Um, It was very real, appropriate to the time. I felt like I understood that setting. Once again, you have like kids that are in um, multiracial settings. And Mm -hmm. that's how I grew up. And it was Black kids, white kids, Latino kids, like every, every part that you could think of. And it was a whole mixture of us. And because of that, you heard all the stereotypes and you heard all the jokes and you heard all the things. And a lot of that like really, really struck a chord. What's real crazy about the um, Dear Martin is that after that, I started writing. Like I knew I wanted hmm. to write like contemporary novels like that too. And like after reading that, I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write something. So the story that got me my agent, a lot of it was inspired from reading dear martin and just being like i want to do something in that vein as well did any of y'all read animorphs growing up it's like a dumb question to ask a bunch of like science fiction fantasy writers animorphs no i did a little but i wasn't into it like a lot of people were oh but Monique, i see people on Monique, have, you, have you heard of animorphs <laughs> i you know i saw the posters when i was growing up yeah me too but i saw the scholastic i, I saw I, it the book i've fair. never even heard of it oh you're well, right am i like that Did was you say animorphs? Like, animorphs. Like yes. morphing animals. Yes. Animals? Yeah. 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 Oh, I forget. Is, is it like Pokemon? <laughs> no, no, they're like shapes, oh, basically. Oh, oh. <laughs> my heart. My heart is hurting, hurting right now. I didn't have what? money for books growing up, so. Okay. Yeah, like, yeah, it's very it was, much like I was the library life. Of, yeah, that's fair. So, Animorphs was like this series about this group of kids that. Um, they end up with these powers where they can turn into different animals. And so every episode, uh, not every episode, well, it ended up being a TV show, but every book um, was kind of like had a different uh, cover where like the kid like slowly turns into whatever the animal of the, like the themed animal of the episode is. So like turn into ant, turn into like a, a tiger, like an eagle, whatever. Anyway, the point is that because a different group of the, one of like a different member of the group was on the cover every book, one of the characters was this black girl named Cassie and it was like a big deal for me when Cassie was on the cover because like it was a, like the book was like a huge trend and so you had to like collect all the books and be like oh I got this one this new one just came out like look at my like limited edition whatever but like when Cassie was on the cover like that was a big deal for me as like a black girl and yeah when she was on the cover whenever it was like a Cassie feature I would like carry that book around and like make it like stick out of my backpack and be like yeah like <laughs> it's a Cassie book this week so like the visual representation too of like having yeah, having a black girl on the cover and this was like late 90s i want to say was was pretty cool and that was that was like probably my first like seeing myself in like science fiction especially but yeah go back and read them they're very good they hold up you know, you know that reminds me of jill and you might you might appreciate this is martha from doctor who yes I, when, yes when I, when I saw martha i guess the first episode that she was really martha was in uh, smith and jones where she, he's in he's in the hospital and then the aliens take them to the moon and yes. all of that. I yes. I realized she was gonna be a companion, and I was just like, oh my god, you've yeah. got it. <laughs> it was yeah. so much fun. And I was so happy for her because she was so smart. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we, we loved we loved Rose, and you know, we eventually loved Donna and everyone. But like oh, Martha, yeah, was the smart one. The doctor needed her. He needed her in a different way that he needed everyone else because mm-hmm. she was the one who was going to get him out of situations on her own with her own thoughts. That's right. Like, yeah, she was capable. Like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, she was capable. She didn't yeah. actually need him. And I'm glad she figured that out eventually. But like, right. <laughs> it, 
Right. I won't, I won't go off on that. I here, wish she had been but... a companion for longer. That was my only thing. Like yes. her arc was pretty it was only short. Only one season. Yeah. But I think she. Yeah. Go ahead. Billy. Billy in the twelfth season, I think. Yeah. And she was. She was. Um. I think she was a lesbian. She was gay. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. Um. To see a queer character. I think this was the first queer companion and mm-hmm. the black woman mm-hmm. so that and she had natural hair right. And, <laughs> right and I was like this you're giving me so much yeah it's, it's cool to I, see the I'm progression it. yeah yes that was that was amazing to see yeah. to see Bill it was a Bill Potts what about you Monique it's interesting because growing up I think I was a little I don't think rebellious is the word but I think I was a little a little resistant when it came to seeing myself in books and why was because a lot of the books, they were either kind of what you all have been talking about. The characters in the books were either like super smart and like super um, like basically like, you know, quote unquote, one of the good ones. Right. Mm-hmm. Or they were the, the very opposite. And I never really ran into books that allowed there to be a nuance within black characters. First time I ever saw myself in the book, the characters you know, they weren't from my background. Mm-hmm. They were Mexican-American. And the book was The House on Mango Street. Have y'all read it? By no, Sandra Cisneros. No, I, have, I have not. <gasps> what? Now you know my pain, but my animal pain. Okay, so The House on Mango Street, it was about this 12-year-old girl. Her name was Esperanza. And she was like growing up in Chicago in a Hispanic neighborhood. And I, I don't know why I liked heard the story so much I think it was because it was like about this girl who everyone around her they looked like her they represented her culture and it was also about a small town and usually when I read stories about characters who like had a big family lived in a small town and they weren't white and everyone looked like them those stories were never black right it was like you found the story and there'd be like one black girl surrounded by a bunch of white people or a black boy, you know, struggling a bunch around white people. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't like, those aren't the stories that I like personally. I like stories about, you're not only black, but you're black and you're within your cultural landscape and you're surrounded by people who are, who are like you um, and who share your culture. So the house on Mango Street was the first time I ever really saw myself as a kid and then as an adult when I started reading Nalo Hopkinson and her book Skin Folk Mm -hmm. oh my gosh she's a a Caribbean American writer and I'm geeky so a lot of our I was surprised because a lot of the language in her writing the dialogue the dialect Mm -hmm. is really similar to geeky and then she's a speculative writer I like that you said that because I don't think I've ever read a book or seen any other kind of media that portrays black people from where I'm from, from uh, the Southern Appalachia. Mm. Like I'm from like, the, like not around Knoxville. So it's like right outside of the Smokies. And I don't think I've ever read a book or seen a movie or anything about a black person from Appalachia. You know what's crazy about that? So there's black people everywhere. I mean, there's black people in Montana, but and they got stories, <laughs> but you don't hear about it. Like you're saying, I mean, mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. there are so many stories that are untold, and I wish that we get to tell some of those stories. They're like exactly we hear the exact same story all the time, and we don't get to hear those. Um, you guys made me think about something when Monique was talking about it not being herself, or even Jill spoke to seeing herself in something that wasn't about black folks i thought about goosebumps and Mm -hmm. how i loved that entire series and maybe because it was just about horror and like everyday life i could relate like it Mm -hmm. just it could have been my house that like you know something was going on and it Mm -hmm. didn't matter what the race of the kids were Mm -hmm. and stories like that are always great when you don't have to think about does it affect me? Like, is there systemic racism involved in this goosebump story? No, there's not. Like, you ain't got to think about that because that monster's trying to kill everybody. Like, mm-hmm. not if it's a racist monster, that's a whole different thing, but it's not. So I think some of those stories I really love because it was universal. 
One of my favorite movies is um, About Time. I yeah. love that one. I it's a one. it's a great movie. I yeah. really love time travel. Man. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah, it. The yeah. dad and the okay. son, yeah. like just the whole story is great. And so I need to go back and resonate. watch that. Something resonates with it, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, that's great. So like, you're able to have two layers of stories. You can have mm-hmm. stories that resonate because you identify with it, and then stories that resonate because you're just human <laughs> and there's mm-hmm. human emotion that resonate with you. Like it's mm-hmm. it's cool to explore both sides of that. For sure. It makes me think of like like the giver was one of those books that really mm-hmm. it was because it was just like a totally different world with so much taken away from everyone mm-hmm. it kind of it kind of just made me feel like there there is a lot of loss when you don't know your history you know what i mean mm-hmm. so even though like i don't even think there's any black people in that book at all actually i think there's like a redheaded girl and she's like an anomaly but i just remember like that book was it just really really made me think about how it, how much our history makes us in a way because when you don't know who you are where you come from then it's like there's just something missing mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of some of the critique of like dystopian fiction though which is like what if the stuff that happened to marginalized people happened to everybody <laughs> right like that's, that's like the, yes. that's what the premise of dystopian <laughs> yeah. right? oh no <laughs> like the hunger imagine games. yeah i know the hunger games gets a little bit of shit for that too which is like wait you're telling me that like people are relegated to like poverty and like they have you right. know, their young people you know it's like right. oh like oh no um so I don't know I, I love the giver too and I love the hunger games but Same. like some of some of the critique of dystopian is like oh no like a mad can you imagine if like and we're like hmm, your history was well you? oh no like I couldn't it reminds me of people of, of like the race switching that that is I guess becoming more common now in other forms of media right where you'll just take something that was historically or written as something and then switch it and turn mm-hmm. them into a different race. I know there's that's going on a lot right now, but what that reminds me of is Bonnie Bennett in The Vampire Diaries, where she was written as a white teenager. And in the show, she's a black, she's a black teenager. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the critique with that role is that Bonnie is a witch. She's a black witch from rural Virginia. Her ancestors were supposed to be from Salem. And I mean, she practices like a a Wicca type thing. mm. And it's like, the problem with that is that you completely lose that's there's, there's no way that a black person from rural Virginia would, her family would historically, it made me mad. (laughs) It made me mad because I was like, this could be so cool. If if you were to have her really doing hoodoo or if she was from Louisiana or Georgia mm-hmm. doing voodoo mm-hmm. right. it would be so cool and you could really have so much nuance in this in this story because a lot of it is she's talking to her ancestors who are witches and like mm-hmm. it's really cool and we just lost all of that just by because she's supposed to be white. Uh, one thing that's interesting about like writing for taking characters and just making them black like you said, it's not written for them. Mm-hmm. But then it points back to if you go to Black authors with their Black stories and you're making these stories into shows, into mm-hmm. movies, you don't have to worry about that. And there's so many shows now where they take a book and they'll be like, which character can we make Black? Right. And then you'll have one. Right. And there's so many stories where there's still a token Black kid. There's a token Black girl, the Black best friend, the token Black boy. Mm-hmm. I mean, and every story we have not broken out of the athlete or the former soldier, like no one. Like that's like mm. for black folks, for black men, that's literally the only thing we ever get. Like every black, I mean, you can think of any character uh, that's been out there. If you're talking even like Cyborg recently, oh, oh he they had to play football. And you know, I did these mm. things, that's fine. I played sports, but like, it's literally the only thing you could do. You had to play sports or you were in the military, that's right. it. Um, I wanted to touch on something, uh, not Camille. KL said earlier. Wow. Oh, there it is. There it is. Y'all stop. There it is. (laughs) I wanted to touch on something KL said earlier, which was you were talking about being able to see yourself in stories that didn't have any Black characters. Um, I I just think that's like a part of our survival mechanism, right? Because we have so many stories with characters who aren't anything like us. And then you also mentioned like the erasure of essentially the black experience and culture and all that stuff when you're you have stories that aren't about struggles with race or it's just about a monster trying to run you down and kill you and like while one one part of me can appreciate stories like that 
another part of me kind of hates them. <laughs> I kind of hate stories uh, like that because I think white people are allowed to fully express their experiences on film or in books. But then black people, it's, 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 kind, of, it's kind of like almost like when you see advertisements for books or manuscript wish lists for books and they're like, okay, we want this, we want black characters, but we don't want race. We don't want any talk of racism. And that's just not reality. And so I think to take, to kind of extrapolate that or to take that out, you are doing a disservice to those characters and also the culture. And also it just makes the, it doesn't make the story as rich and as full as it could be. So one thing I wanted to say on what Monique was saying about like um, white people being able to fully express themselves, white people also, um, they're not expected to try to put themselves in other people's shoes mm -hmm. when it comes to, you know, fiction and media. And But everybody else's, everybody else's like being like white is like the, like the standard, right? Like everybody can like identify with white characters, but for some reason, mm -hmm. white audiences aren't able to identify with people of color. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why? You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. why, why are we able to put ourselves in the character's shoes, even though they aren't experiencing racism or they aren't experiencing things that we've gone through right. yet, yet white people, you know, it, it's just not, not the same. And that's, that's one thing that's always been so strange to me mm -hmm. when um, a character is considered unrelatable mm -hmm. just because they're not white. Yeah. I think that goes back to what Monique said when she said it was a survival thing yep. for us. Cause if, if we, y'all know if, if we wanted to read fantasy or sci-fi we were going to have to read about white people doing stuff in those spaces mm -hmm. so if i wanted to enjoy witches i had to enjoy white witches mm -hmm. i didn't have a choice so white people have had the privilege of seeing themselves represented everywhere they look in every genre mm -hmm. and so when they don't see themselves exactly the way they are it's jarring, I'm mm -hmm. sure. I'm sure it's jarring and it's like uncomfortable because they've never had to do that before. Mm -hmm. It's very like it's very rare that they that they've had to like consume media that wasn't like assembled for them specifically. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure it's like it's hard for them to be like, well, this isn't related, this isn't this is an unrelatable character. They're unlikable. This doesn't make sense. Why would they see the world in this way? because they've seen the world through their eyes in every other media it's probably weird so in my um adult sci-fi that i'm revising right now like my main character's like her one of her strengths like as a character and one of her like not real superpowers but one of her real strengths where she shines is her empathy later in the book um and i think about like parable of the sower as well um and uh how like the, again, like the main character in that story, like her, like one of her real strengths and like the, the things she brings is like a leadership quality really is empathy. And it's not something that you see a lot um, represented in um, books where the main character is, is part of the dominant culture. So is, is white or especially as a white male. Uh, and I think it's because we've, we've had to develop that characteristic as like a survival mechanism, as a way to navigate the world, right? If you can't empathize um, with the dominant culture, um, especially as a, um, as a black person and as a black woman like you you won't be able to navigate i think that empathy is is a, a talent and a strength and a power that we've had to build in order to be able to be successful and be able to survive and also our ancestors literally had to adapt and not only adapt but to completely lose and erase and mm -hmm. divorce their language and culture mm -hmm. in order to literally survive to not be killed. They couldn't speak their own languages. Um, the only time their culture was valued was when it was used for entertainment or um, the foods they cooked or or what how they could cultivate rice or basically the tools they used and they brought over in order to enrich and make the white people more wealthy. So I always kind of think about that too. And that's why I kind of like, when I write, I write in resistance to that. Mm -hmm. um, I write in resistance to the dominant culture or to the to the to the thought that I have to adopt a Western perspective in my stories. And like nowadays, I don't even write about Western like myth or folktales. I just don't. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a question for y'all. Do y'all do that? Like, are, are your stories about black characters in black spaces, whatever that means to you, or are they about black characters in 
very um, white normative spaces? I have a range. So like right now I'm querying a book about my main character is a, she's, she's mixed race. Um, and then it's, so it's just kind of like, I guess it's like a, a mix. Like I'm trying, like trying to make like a, like a reflective of America type story. But then I have my Afro fantasy, which is like all black people, black world. And I just, I just want more black stories from just the spectrum of experiences, you know, I don't know about y'all. So yeah, so mine's a little mixture too. Like the one that got me my agent, um, just about every character is black. There's a couple of white characters that interact with them. But part of it is that the world around us, because this is contemporary, it's based in America, is white. So like, there's no way they can interact with people unless they're in an all black, I mean, all black environment. Um, and then I am writing another one right now where just majority of the characters are black and there's like maybe one or two white characters, but that's how it is. Like, even if you're, in the blackest of cities if you go outside of your borders your walls the area that you're in you're going to interact with white folks and so i do try to keep it surrounding black folks like it's not like hey we have one black person around all white people no it's black folks all throughout the story but was they're going to interact out? with other people like that was a call out listen <laughs> i thought it when i said it but we're not going to talk about that we already agreed <laughs> we're not going to talk about it anyway in my story <laughs> In my stories, uh, there are no white people. Amen. In any of my stories, they're all all, say, all the characters are black. I did I from say different amen. cultures, <laughs> but uh, is it contemporary black. or what? 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 what it's um, like Southern Gothic, right? That's your the one. The one I'm writing right now is is Southern Gothic, and it's mostly set in the secondary world. So um, everyone there is black, and then the one I'm querying right now, it's also set in the secondary world, and well, on another planet. And uh, it's a black planet. Like, there's no, there's no white people at all on that planet. Mm -hmm. Amen. See, I feel like Am that's I? that's like that's like the only like unless you're removing yourself, like, cause yeah, cause my my sci-fi story, like, it's based in like modern day America, and it's mm -hmm. like you can't really remove yourself completely from the white experience if you're, you know, if you're telling a story that's based in modern day America, unless unless you you build that world. So yeah, it is a challenge. I'm like you, Camille. My stories, like at least the stories I well, no, since I was little, my stories, the characters are black. They're black. And when I say that, I don't mean even like black American, right? Like my characters are Mexican and black and they're French and black and American and black. But I think it's very easy to not have white people in my stories because I mean, have y'all not noticed the magical erasure of Black people in modern white stories? We, we're there. We're in those cities. I'm not trying to do what they're doing, though. You know, while I'm not trying to do what they're doing, I'm also, I don't feel the necessity to have white people in my stories. I don't think it is a necessity, especially if I'm writing um, from the perspectives of characters who don't need their presence. Sure, they might be, you know, the mailman or the paper boy or... The waiter in a restaurant but they don't have a voice in my stories black people have voices and i'm not trying to amplify the voice of white people mm -hmm. and, we, and we need those stories too we, we definitely yeah. need those stories because 100%. yeah because th there's not just one black experience right that's the key to this whole thing is that every single person has a different experience and so like you might come from a world where you're black and you interact only with black folks and never see anyone else like when i used to visit my grandpa in the bronx like not only was it a black neighborhood it was a caribbean neighborhood like if you were black and not from the caribbean like you weren't in that neighborhood like so i only saw black people when i visited him mm -hmm. but then like i'm here in austin texas where it's like eight percent black like it's there's white people everywhere like so and then you know it it depends on your family it depends on who's around you and your neighborhoods and your schools so yes if i wrote a story that was surrounding my family in the Bronx, they could have an entire story where they never encounter a white person. But then they also would encounter just black Americans either. Like it just depends, so. My my uh, adult sci-fi is a lot like uh, Chelsea's first story where it's kind of a, a smorgasbord of people um, leaning, leaning towards melanated persuasion. <laughs> um, but I think, uh, yeah, it's it's a more it's a more diverse story. What kind of the main like cast of characters is is all different shades and backgrounds. And then my historical fantasy 
uh, I think like kind of wrestles directly with your question, Monique, because when we were last talking, I was talking about how I have two characters that have different kind of perspectives on this question and like what success is. And one is kind of striving for this white gaze, right? Like trying to like fit in and do all these things right. Uh, these are two sisters. And so she's in this world where she's trying to do all the things and fit into this society and change things from the inside. And she has these different perspectives and this other one's like, no, <laughs> and it's historical fantasy. So she ends up going off with like a maroon society, right? Right, which is like all black, like you know, has um, clung fast or uh, clung uh, close to their culture and is is uh, unapologetic about about their their history. And they're not trying to um, live in this like white definition of success in this in this society. So I think in 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 that story, uh, there are white people, but they kind of serve this narrative purpose of, you know, what what is success? What is community? What is, yeah, what, what does it mean to, to to be successful? And is it just like striving and, uh, you know, being wealthy or is it is it finding your own people and, and building a community from that? Welcome to Craft Country. I'm Kale Bird. And in our first episode, I'm gonna to talk to you about creating your own personal school of writing. I'm gonna give you my secret to perfecting your craft, which in my opinion, comes down to two things, time and resources. I'll break down what I mean as we dive in today. Many of us are avid readers and we love to write. Writing is an art, and just like any art, honing your skills will only make your work better. I'm a former science teacher, so I love that just about anything we do can be broken down into a science. Even the best artists start with a basic understanding of their craft. Now, I'm going to approach this as a teacher and a coach. I've been in education for over 15 years, and I've been fortunate to not only gather tricks along the way, but I've been able to put together the patterns that exist across multiple disciplines. Take, for example, jazz or blues artists. We can all appreciate an artist beautifully working with an instrument or hitting notes that resonate in our soul. As writers, we study our craft and improve on our form so that our creative skill can be best expressed on paper. We endeavor to work magic, not unlike a blues artist who spent years getting her guitar to sing every note the exact same way she envisioned it in her mind. And, in the case of the blues, along with many other art forms, this expression of creativity, of skill, of emotion, is brought to life through the person delivering the experience. What we don't often see is the craft work that went into play behind the scenes. Every great author continually works on their craft, And I promise you, once you understand the basic parts of writing, you'll be free to play inside or outside of the lines, just like a jazz musician. It's in the improv where we see the genius. We've all heard the adage that writers are readers, but I think that's an oversimplification of what it takes to improve your work. We fall into the trap of thinking that simply reading books will make us a great author. I'm going to challenge you a little with that. I think that reading a lot will make you a good author, but isn't guaranteed to make you a great one. In order to be great, you're going to have to work on your craft. And this is where you need a teacher. Now, I'm not talking about an English Lit degree or an MFA, although those are helpful if you've got them. For those of us who don't have access to professors or daily classes, we can turn to the plethora of resources out there. There are books on writing craft everywhere. In addition, there's free material such as podcasts and YouTube videos that can help break down the writing process. Recently, I've also discovered writing craft websites and subscription media. Any and all of these are helpful in creating your own school of writing. So, at the top of the podcast, I talked about both time and resources. We've briefly touched on the resources, but we all know that the most precious commodity that all writers wish we had more of is time. This is where your school of writing has to be worked into your writing routine. I don't have time to work on craft every single day but I make sure it's part of my rhythm. And here's what I mean. This is the secret to it all. Don't move from one year manuscripts to the next without going back to school. You should get into a habit of inserting one of these various mediums into your writing rotation. I'll explain what I mean. Many of us have all created a rotation with our work. We draft our manuscript, then we revise and edit. And when it's been perfected, we move on to the next book. Here's where I insert my school of writing. Once I hit the revision and editing process, I start my school. I start looking for a craft medium that will help me increase my knowledge while I'm editing and before I start the next manuscript. I'll usually get an audiobook or listen to a masterclass or a YouTube video. 
That way I can learn just about anywhere. Because I've chosen listening as the medium that I want to work with, I'll be able to work on my craft on the car ride to work or while I'm washing dishes or walking around the block. I find time to sneak learning into everyday parts of life. Now, once I'm finished editing, I stop working on my craft and I go back into drafting with the increased knowledge that will help me with my next manuscript. This is also my secret to defeating writer's block. If I get stuck at any point in the drafting process, revising, or editing, then I turn to one of my sources of craft. Oftentimes, I'll pick one of the master classes I haven't watched yet, and I'll glean knowledge from the greats like Shonda Rhimes, Walter Mosley, or Neil Gaiman. Or, I'll dive into books like Save the Cat, The Snowflake Method, or The Story Grid. The key here is that you're always in school. Now, throughout the rest of this series, we'll dive into specific resources and talk about the knowledge that these books and materials contain. If you have any craft resources that you would like to pass my way, or any tips and tricks that have helped you along the years, I would love to hear from you. Hit me up on all platforms at author KL Bird. All right, thanks for joining me today. I'm looking forward to the next time when we break down my favorite craft resources. See you then. Hey y'all, and welcome to Black Spectre Fricks. On today's segment, I have a few recommendations for those looking for visual stories with dark elements. So let's dive right in. My first recommendation is The Gilded Ones by Namina Forna. After seeing it featured on Kia Danielle's Bourbon and Book Reviews YouTube channel, I had to check it out. Guys, this one is a new fave. Readers are dropped into this world rich with history, mythology, and culture. From the beginning, I felt that I understood the protagonist and the struggles she faced as she was trying to find her place in a world that didn't want her. But she's determined to live unapologetically, and I'm here for it. I also love how the novel puts Black female characters front and center. But most of all, I love the writing. It's so visceral and it has just the right amount of gore to make you feel the horror these girls went through as outcasts in their society. The story left me inspired and hungry for more. My next recommendation is the movie Black Box on Amazon Prime. Get Out meets Black Mirror in the sci-fi thriller that holds your attention from the jump. After losing his wife and memory in a car accident, a single father turns to an experimental treatment that makes him question who he is. And trust me, you'll be asking questions the whole time. This movie is so intense, with strong performances from the whole cast. It had me on the edge of my seat, talking to the screen, trying to connect the dots like I was some mad conspiracy theorist. By the end of the movie, there was one thought that really stuck with me. We need more black horror. Although the movie was great, it made me realize that audiences often demand excellence from black creatives. But white creatives can sometimes get away with mediocrity or just plain awful storytelling. But I want the whole spectrum. I want black B movies. I want some cheese and some corniness from black you know, filmmakers on the screen. I just, I want it all. Last but not least, I highly recommend the comic Bitterroot by Chuck Brown, David Walker, illustrated by Sanford Green. Volume 1 completely blew me away. You follow a family of monster hunters during the Harlem Renaissance. So right off the bat, you have black people trying to thrive in a world that's done everything it could to rob us of our joy. This story is action-packed with juicy horror, memorable characters, and sharp dialogue. The story of black resilience permeates every page, and I'd love to see it. But not only do we get black folks as heroes, but Bitterroot also has black people as antagonists. I don't want to spoil too much, but think of Black Panther. The bad guys have a point. With everything going on in the world, the comic reminds me of who the true enemy is, evil and hatred, and it's all of our fight. And if the comic isn't enough, Bitterroot also has some beautifully written essays on race that are also must-reads. So those are my Black Spectric Cracks. Let me know yours and I'll be sure to check them out. Thanks. For this genre galaxies, I'm gonna talk about literary and commercial fiction. First, it's important to note the meaning of these words were brewed in a factory of capitalism and elitism. So, going forward, whether or not you believe you write commercial fiction or genre or literary or upmarket or any other word, the publishing industry may tell you you are, 
it places no real value on you or your writing. Okay, let's dive into literary fiction. If you look at Masterclass's website, it says literary fiction uses advanced vocabulary, explores philosophical themes, and lacks in adherence to a fixed plot formula. Basically, that's a lot of words to say the publishing industry sees literary fiction as, quote, serious, or as something that uses writing and a writing structure that's inventive. An example of literary fiction I love is anything by Jasmine Ward, but especially Salvage the Bones. It's a book about a family in Mississippi that takes place before, during, and after Hurricane Katrina. This story is devastating, and I mean devastating and intense and so beautiful. So if you're interested in what I would call a modern classic and what could be described as literary, check out Salvage the Bones by Jasmine Ward. Okay, this is where I give a bright, flashing disclaimer. Many people in the industry are not in agreement as to what literary is. Also, these definitions have changed over time, and some people's definitions have changed with the times. Others have not, and neither of these people are wrong. In other words, take everything with a heaping bucket of salt. Now, let's talk about commercial fiction. The publishing industry sees commercial fiction as stories with traditional, time-honored, or mainstream plots and character arcs. My friend Monique Collins, who was also part of this podcast, was taught to call it popular fiction in grad school, and that's an easy-to-remember synonym for commercial fiction. A lot of genres, like romance, fantasy, and thrillers, often work within established structures. Let's look at romance. Most agents who represent romance will say they want the ending to have either a happily ever after or a happy for now. Some beloved romance tropes are enemies to lovers, there's only one bed, a grumpy MC and a sunshine MC, and a fake engagement or fake marriage. Many romance readers reach for these stories for those tropes and for the structure of the plot that allows for those tropes. Now, let's look at fantasy. My personal favorite structure or archetype for a fantasy story is the hero's journey. I love going along with the main character as they have the call to action and they go and do cool stuff and learn their own strength, win some battles, lose some battles, And the story usually ends with a heightened level of self-confidence or awareness of their personal power. This structure is accessible and well-liked by a lot of people. Okay, I don't want you to leave this segment thinking all fantasy is like the hero's journey, or all romance is fake engagement with a lovey-dovey ending. Many authors deviate from these structures, They do this in a myriad of ways, including playing with their style of prose or with non-linear timelines. But also, please understand me, there's nothing wrong with writing or enjoying these structures. An example of commercial fiction I love is Legendborn by Tracy Dion. I read it the first time like a week after it came out last year and three times since. It's a contemporary King Arthur retelling, sort of. I highly recommend it. There's Black Girl Magic, Secret Societies, and Ancestral Rites as well. These things really scream commercial to me, so if you write YA fantasy or you're interested in seeing a very recent book that would be described as commercial, definitely check out Legendborn by Tracy Dion. Alright, the last thing I'm going to say about genre is... Literary and commercial can be combined to make upmarket fiction, which is understood as having the excitement or thrilling plot of a commercial book with the elevated prose of literary fiction. Remember Jasmine Ward from earlier? Some people would call her writing style upmarket. There's also literary sci-fi or literary horror, but I'll talk about that in a later episode. In this next section, 
I'm going to bring in the MSWL or Manuscript Wishlist from agents and editors. How this is going to work is I'm going to give you two quotes from two different industry professionals about the same type of fiction. I'm using tweets, their personal websites, and literary agencies' websites as well. Here we go. One person says they don't put much of a premium on literal subject matter in literary fiction. Everything they like, they like because of the way it's told. Another person wants slightly off-kilter literary fiction, not the precious kind or the entitled kind, but the unnerving and weird. The first quote for commercial fiction is, I want urban fantasy with myths and legends based far out of the usual commercial scope. Give me South American creatures, the Philippines, Eastern Island, New Zealand. What's the boogeyman there? I want to know. The second quote is, I'd love to see more multicultural meet-cutes and rom-coms. I want family drama and stories about friendships as well. For upmarket, one person says they want upmarket book club women's fiction that reminds us how difficult it is to be a modern woman, but also how rich and rewarding. The second person wants upmarket crime, dark and edgy, with possession stories, cults, creeping dread, and fears made real. As you can see, there are so many different kinds of literary, commercial, and upmarket fiction. Like most things in life, book genres fall anywhere on a dozen spectrums all at once, so don't stress about the specifics. What's one thing to me could be something entirely different to you, and that's okay. All right, if you got through all of that with me, thank you. The too long didn't read version that I'm putting at the end is literary fiction is a character focused, quote unquote, serious story that may have an inventive plot structure. Commercial or popular fiction is more mainstream and is more plot focused. However, this could be completely untrue, depending on who you're talking to and depending on the story itself, which could be neither or both of these things. Thanks for joining me inside Genre Galaxies. Hey, Monique. Hey, Camille. Hey, hey astronauts. Today on the Black Joy Crew segment, we're going to talk about a couple of things. Right, Camille? Yes, ma'am our favorite speculative character crushes who are black blackity black mm-hmm. yes our favorite side character personality types yes. ways to join a writing community and our top writing hacks okay so i know you have a lot of crushes who is <laughs> <laughs> who is one of your top black speculative character crutches and this character could be in books comics movies anything Mm, okay i would have to i have to say bonnie bennett from the vampire diaries okay i don't okay (laughs) i i would say it's i mean aside from just i think like the actress was very pretty and i like that but i think Mm -hmm. more of her personality like that's the kind of personality that I think is like attractive, but also is really helpful and like it makes sense in the story. Um, I didn't super like that she was kind of like the black friend, but yeah, I hated that. Yes, but she was the most helpful person on that television program. Like, but they would not she... have been able to do anything if not for Bonnie Bennett. But was she like kind of like a pushover though? No, it was, like, it was like Bunny, do the spell for us. Bunny, <laughs> die for us. And she just like die for us. <laughs> Bonnie, die, die. No one cared about Bonnie. No, you know what? You're you are correct. Except for no Alonzo. No spoilers, but Alonzo, right? Yes. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And I definitely think that she got the short end of the stick on multiple for for most of, if not all of her life on, mm-hmm. on that show. But I do think that she was using her powers for good, or she at least believed she was. Yes. And there were times when she went against what they wanted her to do. That is true. Like with Klaus, 
in the beginning uh they wanted her to do stuff with klaus and she was like no and she did like she kind of went on her own sometimes but you're right that she did do a lot of stuff for them which i'm not super happy about right she was badass no she was she was and i always wanted her to have her own series like i was waiting for her to have her own spinoff can you but can you imagine if they did that now though do you think you are you saying do i think what happened now yeah no 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 like can you imagine if they were to do that now if they were to come out right now with the bonnie bennett show they need to i know i would watch that i would watch especially that. if would... alonzo came back <laughs> <laughs> okay okay I would fair, watch that. fair fair i'm you know what? i had a hard time deciding who mine would be but okay. no judgment but i really love killmonger no from, from i don't judge you for that I don't judge you. I don't judge you for that. And I mean, he was flawed. He was a very flawed character, but I liked yeah. that too. I love flawed characters. And then he was cute. That's another oh, thing. Oh yes, that, yes, that yes, helps. I agree with that. <laughs> so, and I, I almost want him to like not have died. And it's like, psych. He's back. Black Panther yeah. too. But yeah, I don't think that's. I know happen. for a little while that was like floating around Twitter that like maybe, really maybe he'll come back. I don't. I mean, obviously, I don't have any insider information on that, but. <laughs> It would be really cool, would it not, if Killmonger came back and he was able to like work it out with uh the, with the sister. What was her name? Was that his sister? No, not not not. I mean, uh, Black Panther's sister. Oh, yeah. It would. I, I don't know. It would be cool if he could like kind of redeem himself because yeah. I think his anger was justified. It was. I agree. You know, it was justified, and he did kind of like wake them up. To what was yeah. happening to black people in america right yes so yeah, i definitely agree with that his whole character was flawed but that was like part of what made it beautiful i think because mm-hmm. that's kind of just american history black american history right it's so flawed but it's also so beautiful and i i think that like his character and like the anger the justified anger he had but also the genuine love he had for um, for his people back in America. Right. Uh, was just beautiful to see. And I think that was the first time I've ever seen a Black American character in a speculative world in that kind of, like from that kind of viewpoint. I think a lot of times when we visit speculative worlds, it's it's, it's never really like a Black, american speculative world you know like based on american history and i think that's too what i liked about lovecraft country Mm, and so the character in that one was like one of my he's like second choice second (laughs) second second, like a close second Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) okay so what about side characters like what's your favorite side character personality to either watch or write about to write about my favorite side character personality is one that is in direct opposition to the main character hmm. so i want the side character to be the fire to the main character's water or vice versa okay because what i don't like to write is the same character multiple times that's and, very like true. with like different names but doing the same thing <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean or like i know what you mean like be i don't i don't want people to be to um have the kind of personality that they would have an event happen in front of them and react the same way right i want characters to react in opposite ways and then for them to have to grapple with the differences in personality and i think readers love that as well we want to see drama yeah that's so dramatic yes what about you what about you i i don't know i really like an evil side character like a sneaky evil one one who's like backstabby and backstabby yes (laughs) to the to the main character yes to the main character and like oh my gosh i thought you were my friend but you're not i love that i don't know i love i love the backstabber I think that I, I think really surprising. Yes, especially in shows, but also in books, like the backstabber who um 
there's kind of like some dramatic irony because the readers know this person is evil, but the main character mm-hmm. doesn't. And you're the whole time you're like screaming at the character. You, you know idiot. what? That's so true. I love that. I love when yes. the whole like for an extended amount of time in the book, the reader knows something the main character doesn't. Mm-hmm. Because then you're right. We are just screaming at them. Like, do you not see what you're is right. happening in front of you? He's tricking you. Why are you so blind? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, you're stupid, you're stupid, you're stupid. Yes. And then you throw the book down in anger and pick it back up because you have to finish it. I know. Let me, let me go follow this dummy across this world. <laughs> See if they ever figure it out. Right. Yes, that's the best. Yes, that is the best. I agree with you. So as we're like kind of building all these things, our side characters, our main characters, like, what are some of your hacks? Like, what are some of your writing hacks? My writing hacks. <clears throat> my writing hacks. One of my, my, my best writing hacks is to find uh, playlists, like on Spotify, YouTube, whatever okay. you use, And just listen to, like, four or five songs of a playlist that you think you might be interested in. Or one that you think you would not be interested in and like force yourself to kind of maybe be a little uncomfortable mm-hmm. and kind of think what what could this playlist be a soundtrack to I think if you if you do if you do the one where you you're using a playlist that you're not maybe maybe you know you like you like hip-hop but you mm-hmm. listen to like something else like I don't know indie pop or something um you might get a different perspective because right. if you listen to only hip-hop then I mean maybe maybe you only get the same few ideas and that's kind of maybe why you are like struggling a little bit. So that's if you get out of your comfort zone a little bit, then maybe you'll come up with different ideas. Do you do that like at the beginning, like when you're stuck on a scene at the end? I do that in the beginning. Okay. In the beginning. Yeah. It also helps with personalities, character personalities. Because if because you know, songs have their own personality. Sometimes multiple personalities in one song. That's very true. So, I mean, if, some, if something is really lovey-dovey, but then it gets angry, there's there's a personality for mm-hmm. you. Something is sad, but then it gets, like, really, really sad. There's a personality for you. Right. Oh. And you know what? Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I, like, I started pairing my characters or giving them, like, a little playlist. Ooh, like, I was like, yeah. oh, this character loves this song and then mm-hmm. that informs you right that tells you That's so much perfect. about their personality what they like what they don't like um what they like what they want and what they crave mm-hmm. you know all that stuff yeah um, and sometimes in music you say things that you wouldn't necessarily say out loud right so if you listen to a song and it reminds you or it makes you think of a character then that lets you gives you gives you a little bit more nuance for the character. Exactly, that helps you write the character better. Exactly, and it also helps you like get to know the character because mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but sometimes, especially new characters or characters, I'm not so comfortable writing because mm-hmm. they're just not like me at all. Being able to tap into something outside of you, like music, kind of helps you get into their headspace a lot more. I agree. Yeah, I de- I definitely like using different mediums. You, you could use books as a medium, but I think if, I think if you use a different medium like music right. or film or TVs or something like that, it really does, you're using a different part of like your senses or you're like, I you're, agree. you're thinking differently. I agree. I think you can do the same thing um, with settings. And I mean, like actually physically going to a location. Mm-hmm. Like I like to do sensory hacks. Like I'll go somewhere and I'll look really weird, but I'll do it anyway no I'll, yeah I'll go somewhere and I'm like hmm I wonder how this thing smells and so like I'll be smelling it and like yeah. my head out the window when we're like when like we're driving through like somewhere new and yeah. my sisters are like what are you doing and I'm like I'm trying to smell the environment no yeah I get but, it yeah I I made my husband we drove up like three hours north like almost near the Canadian border because I wanted to go see this college Mm-hmm. it was this tiny little new england college and i was like i want to go here because i would like to see what 
a rural New England college looks like. Right. Because I've been to one before. So I was like, I want to go see it. So I, so we went and I really, I now get, I have this whole plot in my head now of what could happen at this college because I, because I was there. Yeah. I got out of the car. I walked the streets. I got a coffee. Like I really experienced it with all of my senses. And so I really feel like I was like I like I could put myself in this world so I can put other people in this world also right and I know people are like well you can just like google a picture but no you want to like feel the bricks and feel the stone and hear kind of like the noises and the sounds and yeah I think all of those things help I agree no that could get hard if your story is in like you know Ireland and you live in South Carolina but uh, (laughs) assuming you're you know somewhere regionally local then I think it's a good idea to go hang out and I know like technology doesn't tell you everything but it can still help with some things like you can go on a virtual tour uh, google maps Mm -hmm. and um and and also you're right like walking tours and things like that I do that almost every day (laughs) you know what's another one of my my writing hacks is to go on google maps and just hang out somewhere like walk around really yes because even though you're not physically physically there it does help you see it from at least one perspective yes that's true in pictures it's it's better to see it on google maps because you can turn around in the camera you can like go from this street to the other street and hop around and like it's it's so nice i definitely recommend going on google maps anywhere in the world and just hang out and just look around i would second that and then if you want to hear sounds there's always youtube videos like anytime i want to learn anything new especially about um countries in west africa i always like google nigerian youtubers or Ghanaian youtubers Mm -hmm. and just like listen to the to the language the dialect and just to what they're saying about their environment i think that helps as well definitely that's so right. Well, listening to someone talk is also really, really cool. Who's from that area? Mm-hmm. You can get a lot of ideas listening to people also. Because it's like, oh, they talk like this. This is so interesting. And again, it's something new. It's something different. So you're taking yourself out of like your bubble of like perception and going into someone else's. Right. And then with that said, though, we're not saying that y'all should go and like appropriate people's I say I didn't say any of that I didn't say we ain't that. say that now I didn't say it she <laughs> ain't say that she ain't say go in there and appropriate cultures but we're just like no. saying you know these are some ways you can enrich your stories yes. with some writing hacks and then like what about we're talking about hacks we talked about our crushes and what about people who want to like join communities what were some of your like favorite or not favorite your first writing communities online it can be online or in person probably in person was like in high school I wrote for like the high school newspaper okay the first time uh, I did that too you know did you I I wonder I wonder what the like percentage is of people who currently write and they wrote in high school or they wrote the newspaper or like they were in some kind of club or something yeah I don't know but I, what did you write? Cause like I, I wrote this like um, fashion column. Oh, it was like, oh, I love that. <laughs> oh gosh. I wrote like a poetry column. There was like, there was like maybe four or five of us on like the very back page of the newspaper. There was like a section for poets. And I had like maybe three or four stanzas worth of a poem. Okay. Every other week, I think. And I loved it. I mean, it was terrifying because that meant people were actually reading my writing. And yeah, I was, you know, 16, 17 years old. And I didn't really want to hear people's opinions because I wanted it to all be perfect. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. It was my, my first writing community was in, was in high school. But I think after high school, my first writing community was online. And that was probably Twitter, which for better or for worse, it was, it was Twitter. And uh, I first started following a couple of the authors that I really liked 
and then I saw that they were like talking to other authors and then I realized there was this whole community of writers and poets and screenwriters right outside of school in general social media especially twitter was where i found like my tribe because it's really easy to reach out to people who are either established or not established as writers Mm -hmm. and kind of get their insights or ask to join their community um and that's how we met right (laughs) that is how we met kl because kl's uh Cleo's uh, channel yeah that was I would I was not I was not looking for it really at that time and then he tweeted something about like you know for black authors who write speculative fiction Mm -hmm. if you're interested I have a group we could like talk and I was like okay so I'll I'll know this guy but (laughs) but you know what it'll be fine and then I was there and I was like oh my gosh Look at all of these people I from know across the country, across the globe. There are people yeah. you know, in other in other continents and stuff. And so really cool. And I would I remember like typing all scared and chickened. I was like, You were? I was I was a chicken, Monique. yes. Yes, Monique. Monique Collins was a chicken. When? <laughs> well, when I like when I was asking KL to join the group, I was like, Oh, Father, help me, Father Jesus. <laughs> and then I was like, Hello, sir. My oh name my is Monique. Gosh, stop and, it. <laughs> but then I asked to join. But um, so that's, I mean, that's my advice for everyone who's listening. If you want to join a writing community, even if you live in a very small town, not yeah. really having anyone who is black around you, or you don't have anyone um, who really writes around you that you know, go to social media, go to Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook even, and see what's out there. And if you want to join our writing community, the Afronauts um, server on Discord, Camille, what do they need to do? Just DM us on any of our social medias, Twitter, Instagram, also Pinterest. Yes. So, I mean, DM us anywhere and we will hook you up. Yes. And if you're not really on any social media accounts and you're like old school, you can also send us an email at Afronautspodcast at gmo.com. <laughs> okay Monique I gotta go do laundry okay (laughs) so y'all let's continue the conversation on social media thank you for kicking it with us follow us on Twitter Instagram and Pinterest check out the link in our show notes to join our discord community don't forget to follow and subscribe